Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to worship at the altar of music and comedy. The giddiness and the harmony of a well-crafted comedy song brings great joy and abundance. Join the tinkling talents of David Thames and me, Phil Nickel. Sit back, turn it up, and enjoy Songs in the Key of Laugh. Yes, Songs in the Key of Laugh. It's episode eight. Series three. Series three. Yes. And, and this is actually going to be our penultimate episode. Um, the final interview section, because we fell, we fell one short because of the way that the weeks have worked out. Yeah, yeah um, just the way the weeks worked out. That's why. Yeah. Well, you were yeah. very busy with your child. And you were very and, sick. And I was very ill. So yeah. we missed a week. It's okay. He's not dying. No, well, I'm over it. I'm over it now. You may hear the roughness in my voice when I'm singing later, but I hope we do. I've been coughing <laughs> my lungs up all week. Uh, but, but thanks you, thanks you. <laughs> Sound like drunk. Thank you, <laughs> thanks you uh, for listening. And you, last week we had Geraldine Quinn. Hope you enjoyed that interview. She is a digger, man. That you know, oh my God, that is that artist is just. She just does not give up. That woman goes like she does. the clackers. She works, she works so so hard, and I'm hoping that her her, her Christmas show is yep. going to be as as wonderful as she's hoping it's going yeah, to absolutely. be. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for listening, and thanks for uh, joining us on Patreon, and uh, and also listen to the back listen to the back catalog. Uh, there's loads. We've been noticing people are listening to the earlier stuff as well. That's really really. And just just to back reference somebody there as well, yeah. um, Jazz Emu. Right, who we've um, who we had on a couple of in episode yeah. six. Yes. Um. So he's still doing his show at the Soho Theatre. He is. Um. This runs uh, just only a couple couple more days. So if you haven't gone and seen it, please do. But they've just had their first. They uh, they had their review a couple couple yes, of weeks in back, the Times. In the Times, five stars. Five stars, and it is a a it's a shit hot show. Yeah, and if you haven't listened to the, our episode, our interview, that's a great way to catch up with the Jazz Emu and hear Archie's inner thoughts. Uh, later on today's show, we're going to be discussing the joy of songwriting. Yes. And uh, I've got something that's going to blow David's mind. And oh, uh, okay. we've got our comedy song contest. Uh, and we're going to attempt to content to finish our nativity. Yeah, just about. Yeah, we're almost there. Because the next so. episode after this one is going to be the nativity and the comedy song contest announcement. All wrapped into wins. one. And, but later on today's episode, we had did an extraordinary fun interview with the wonderful David, David O'Doherty. Joe, so you come and sit down. You bring your, I don't what kind of Casio? What's your kit? What's it? What kind of Casio? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? A, what is it? A, a Casio? Like, uh, no, I'm the man who puts the aha in Yamaha. So it's uh, <laughs> Casio have the best beats. 
but yes. uh, Yama have the, have the best tones. So if I'm doing a beats heavy show, I'll lean into the uh, the Casio MT series. Yeah, but yeah. for general day to day gigging, I operate the Yamaha Portasound, specifically the PSS 260. This one, which right, you can okay. still buy on eBay for 15 pounds. I didn't realize you had a click. That's the first time I've heard the click. What? There's, there's always been a click. Coming out of the coming out of the the, the stings, David's had a click. I've never heard the click before. There's there's been a click ever ever since we started. The, like for the last year and a half of doing this show, there's always been a click I've before never, we start recording. I've never heard the click. Wow. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Do another sting right now. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. There is a click. That's yeah. unbelievable. Okay, now you know, folks. <laughs> Little insight into what happens here at the uh, the Cheddington Studios. <laughs> yeah, we're not in Cheddington Studios today, are we? No, no. we're in Casa, Casa, Casa del, del Phil. Casa yeah. del Phil. Uh, <laughs> the, the joy of songwriting, David. You've write, written loads of songs. Um, I've written loads of comedy songs. I've written a few. I mean, actually, as I was growing up, I wrote. I used to write more serious songs. I think we've just discuss that the first one i remember is actually just changing the words to baby you can drive my car to andrea i love that name yeah yeah i still want to see these these old diaries of yours <laughs> phil i think there's going to be some gold in there yeah i think that's going to be a new segment <laughs> I, think the, I was thinking back to um there's songwriters like daniel johnson if you don't know daniel johnson he's this like crazy guy um great great songwriter but and uh it's a li- little bit of neurodiversity and he wrote he, but he didn't realize you could just record the song and then and then use that recording and then repeat it he would re-record the, this the track every single time so he so he put out a cassette of his songs but every single cassette was an original was he he recorded it live each time okay so he put a cassette out so if you've got one of the cassettes I think I think the it's called Hi How Are You and uh, and there was a T-shirt you probably recognize it's a really f- famous T-shirt that he did the drawing of and he did all the T-shirts individually so instead instead of doing sc- screen printing and um, he became famous because um, Kurt Cobain wore one of his Hi How Are You T-shirts on a as Nirvana were breaking and I was like what's that and they were like that's Dan oh, you've never heard of Daniel Johnson and the guys become famous. Okay, and, and he's got some of the most amazing songs. There's one, um, and there's a great documentary called "The Devil and Daniel Johnson." He ends up hanging out with the guys from, oh, what's the name of the band? But but the Butthole Surfers, a <laughs> punk band, who get him who get him involved in acid, and it, and it pu- pushes him right over the edge, and he thinks that he's the Antichrist. When I was born in '61, writing songs for the love of it like the daniel johnson is that's why i think why he's admired by songwriters far and wide he's not the greatest singer he's not the greatest guitar player but there's just something about the guy is you know because of his neurodiversity it's, everything's from the heart yeah uh, and he's doing it for the love of it you know he lives with his parents and it's he, he's just a really fascinating character 
You live with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> or you did. I, I, I used to live with my parents, yes. I think most people did, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, yeah, as an adult. I, 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 I did for a while, yes. Um, yeah, I went. I went, did lots of sofa surfing for many years. Yeah. Um, but yes, would always end up always end up back at the sofa at mum and dad's um as, yes. as a musician though do you do you find that you're writing song you write songs because of you they need to express something and so it i don't i don't know how, know how deeply we can get into this because it's such a fucking deep subject where, where what were you writing songs about love conquests or what absolutely what? i think i wrote i've probably written most of my songs about about love yeah. and about uh and about needing to needing to be loved a lot of the time as yeah. well yeah. um particular people i think as i went through you always trying to write like the the next the next um most wonderful mental journey mm-hmm. right and yes. um so i've got a lot of unfinished unfinished things that, yes. that I, I will probably never get to finish right um where where you know it's it's a journey about two people and those two people well i never finished those journeys yeah so i've now i, I now have a journey and i don't think i've written written many songs about it you yeah. know i've now got a journey where i've got a daughter right and we, we me and me and kim had always said that we would we would write an album for for our daughter we now yeah. have a studio at our house and we still haven't got around to uh, sitting down and writing that album but that surely that's got to be that's got to be the, the closest thing to my heart ever is yeah. having a daughter yeah and writing writing a song for her i find i find that i end up um spouting lyrics and just singing to her and making it up as i go along and i keep on going ah i'll record that and i might record a little voice note of it and i'm like ah and i go and listen back to them later and i'm like oh that's really really wonderful right and yet i still haven't got round to going and sitting in the studio and making all of that stuff you know pull together and making them into the songs that yeah. are 100% straight from my heart because these are coming from the moments that I'm holding my child when she's you know just about to fall asleep and you've got these wonderful wonderful moments of love and yet I yeah I just haven't got around to doing it yet and I think that that's that's the um that's been an issue of mine f- throughout my career is that I've never just sat down and gone through the hordes of lyrics that I've got well do it I should, but I have so. But, but the majority of my work is for different people. So I will get asked to write. David, can you please write a jingle for this? David, can you please write a song because we need it for this show? Yeah. Can you do that? And yeah, of course I can, hundred mm. percent. But then it takes away from me writing the stuff for myself, and it's the stuff that I'm going to write for people and uh, and that's going to pay me. Yeah. So it's you know it's it's a. Uh, it's i've written hundreds and hundreds of songs yeah, but i would com- say completed two of them yeah, well i don't know i've completed the majority of them but they're for other people right so the stuff that i've done for myself yeah i probably have probably completed about two of them um so we just we, i just spent most of my time after i learned to play the guitar and got over that stage in in high school of writing songs to impress girls i then just started dicking about and then Hi. when I met when I met Cork the Speaks, well, my friend Barry Davis, who we'll talk about later, we had a group called the um, Your Friendly Neighbors, which is country and western songs. I think I've, we've talked about it on the podcast before. Okay, yeah, songs like um, "You Gotta Bite the Silver Bullet." Oh yeah, to of course, survive. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. But then, and then it just turned into comedy songs because I find them more interesting lyrically to write. Well, I mean, you've got it also. It's your craft, isn't it? You, when when you're on stage, you're having to try and 
uh, you're trying to deliver your punchlines in the best way that you possibly can, yeah. which is normally pure aggression at the first person closest to you in the audience. Um, <laughs> that's, that's just my style. <laughs> but no, I can see, I can see how how it's a it's an extra level that yeah. you have to that you have to be at because you're, you're trying to make fan, people laugh. Big fan of big fan of Jonathan Richmond. Ah, oh, because you know, and there's a song that he wrote called Bermuda. I think we talk about it later with uh, David O'Doherty in the in the interview section. But it's when he started off as a punk rocker, and it was at CBGBs, and then he went to Bermuda, and he wrote this song about what the experience that happened there that changed the way he wrote songs. Well, down in Bermuda, down in Bermuda. It turned me all around It turned me upside down In Bermuda Ding, ding Well, down in Bermuda I saw how stiff I was And I changed it just So this is going to blow your mind, David. Okay. My friend Barry Davis, who I mentioned earlier, uh, your friendly neighbours, Will and Dale, he sent me a thing recently saying he's going to on to open AI chat, you know, that chat thing that everyone's talking about. I don't know about this. It's open AI. You can can say you need an essay written about the Greek wars, the Peloponnesian War. Uh, It'll it'll say 5,000 words. It does it in seconds. It spits it out. And it's like word perfect. What? Uh, and my friend Barry used it to, he said, can I have a song, a Billy Bragg song in the style of Billy Bragg about a man facing his mortality. And it gave him three different, gave him, uh, he asked for th- three verses and a chorus and some chords. And it, the, it gave, it, within seconds, it had written a song. That's not true. It is true. And then, <laughs> and then he said, I, 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 he said, it's a little too explicit. Can I make the lyrics more cryptic? Uh, maybe add some memories in there. And it said, yep. And it went, just changed it right away. And he went, now can I have it from the other point of view, from the point of the father, point of view of the father? And then it, was, and then it gave him the chords. And you've got a Billy Bragg song. What? Okay, so okay, sorry. Look, look it up. Get, we got your. Sorry. Have we got your. Do it, got well, let's do, the, let's do this in real time. Get your. Get your um, your tablet. What's it called? It's called Open Open o- o- Open AI Chat. And then you have to sign okay. in. I have to. Oh. Okay. I have to, hold on. I have to sign in properly. So it needs my email. Sting. <laughs> okay, right. So yeah, you. Yeah, so yeah. okay. You pick an. Now you pick an artist. You can say something like, "Can I have a song in the style of David uh, Bowie?" Because da- I like da- doing his voice. David Bowie. Okay. Okay. David yeah. Bowie. And then yeah, and you pick like some random. Like so, just put, I say put a couple of words in. So like uh, Sasquatch, Sasquatch, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, and, uh, and write write a song in the style of David Bowie. Yeah, right. Okay, about Sasquatch, Sasquatch and uh, bananas. <laughs> a Sasquatch eating bananas. <laughs> right. Like on. watch, it'll write it right okay, in front of me. On, put that on. in. Press yeah. go. Okay, uh, yeah. it's going. Yep. Look. Fuck <laughs> off. I know, right? It's insane. That is ridiculous. And that, it's and given that, a verse. It's writing a chord. It's cor- writing it in front of my it's eyes. Right. Yes. And then you ask for a chord progression, simple Bowie-esque chord Wait, progression. Wait, it's still writing. Okay. Give it a minute. Okay. God, he's not... This is incredible. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'll ask for a... So university students have been using this to write essays and stuff like that now. No, no this is going to be like... And then it just gives you a chord progression. Yeah. How this is this is changing the world. Yeah, this is uh, for if you've did if you missed it the first time, this is open AI chat. Every, everyone's using this. But now. you can 
Oh my god. Okay, so all right, Mr. Bowie. What's your news? What's your latest Bowie. song? Bowie. Okay, this <laughs> okay, is Bo- a song about Sasquatch by David Bowie. <laughs> right, so there's sequence. Uh I saw a creature in the woods and a hairy beast with eyes so good, eyes so good. He walked on two feet just like a man, but his size was twice as grand. Oh, Sasquatch, Sasquatch, in the forest so lunch, eating bananas by the bunch. Sasquatch, Sasquatch. That's mad. It's ridiculous, mysterious and mild In the woods, he roamed free, unbridled Okay, I mean, he could definitely do some tweaks But this is ridiculous Yeah Oh, I like this one. Uh, he has long, uh, he has long arms and massive feet. His fur was brown and oh so sweet. He made a sound that shook the trees. A fearsome roar that cut through the breeze. Sasquatch, 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 Sasquatch. in the forest zone. <sighs> <laughs> ridiculous. This is Absolutely ridiculous. Crazy. This AI is going to take over the world, man. But surely anybody can do this. It's the end like, of, it's anybody the end. is now a songwriter. And anybody can write an essay for anything. End of the arts. Well, you also you can put in, because you're playing the music, you can also put into, uh, there's another uh, bot that does the music for you as well. So you can say, I want, a, I want a rap song in the style of Taylor Swift, and it will do it immediately. So I, there's no, my job is, I've got. Human, human beings will be destroyed and it will take over the earth and we will no longer be needed. I am um, we will simply be carrying a virus to Mars. <laughs> I'm both impressed and really depressed. <laughs> you can even ask the uh the bot to change it to uh from the perspective of the Sasquatch. Fuck. I'm a Sasquatch eating bananas. Um this is a song that I wrote. Okay. No bot. No bot. No artificial intelligence. Okay. It's called Pancreas. <laughs> Pancreas, you're my favorite organ. Pancreas, you do all the dirty work. Pancreas, I need an operation. Pancreas, don't think that I'm a jerk. Well, I never did anything to hurt you, but I've got this terrible pain in my gut. And when the doctor sticks his big knife in, Pancreas, it's gonna hurt a lot. So, Pancreas, when they put me under, Pancreas, please don't start to cuss. Pancreas, we never got time to thank you. So, Pancreas, here's thanks from all of us. Thanks, Pancreas. Thanks, Pancreas. Thanks, Pancreas. We love you. <laughs> Is that all the other organs? Yeah. <laughs> It's comedy song contest time. It's a competition. It's a contest, yes. David, and this is going to be the final entry for this year, this season, uh, on the penultimate episode, and then for our final episode, which is going to be coming out right before Christmas, you're going to hear the nativity and the comedy song contest winners will be announced. But oh, I'm so excited! The about last, that. the last one comes from. It's a, a group we've had on before, the Masters of the Scene, uh, Phil and Bethany, and uh, they're saying they've, they've taken a full hour long show called band practice that's b-a-n-n-e-d uh, to exotic climbs such as blackburn blackpool and other colorful related towns um this song is called 
open relationship. Yo, it's Masters of the Scene here. We've got a song that's for all you couples out there. You know the ones that have been together for absolutely ages. That's right, this is for you. Take it away, Bethany.
If you'd like to join the comedy song competition for Series 4, why not send your comedy songs into songsinthekeyoflaugh at gmail.com and check out songsinthekeyoflaugh.com for all the details. There's a 200-pound grand prize and two 50-pound runner-up prizes. Send your funny songs in today. This is going to be our penultimate episode of the nativity yes uh so we have been doing a nativity throughout this series dictionary nativity dictionary nativity but we don't have a dictionary no we don't have david's piano tuning book so uh what happens is phil is going to point at a word in the uh in the book random page random page finger down what is it today um different Different. Okay, that's that's not going to be difficult to uh, shoehorn in. So what's happened uh, up to now is we've just had a song from uh, from the star, who you can find on many media platforms. Um, so I think in this episode, which is the one before the end, we want we want the shepherds and the king, the wise men. Sorry, shepherds and the wise men. Yes. So that's that's where we're at. So the word is different. Shepherds and kings. Right. Um, all right. Something triumphant. Something triumphant. Okay. Lots of horns, lots of horns. Yeah. <laughs> We're the three wise guys. We've come from there. Where, where? We're the three wise guys. We brought gifts for the Son of Man. We're the shepherds. We're in the shepherd's fields <laughs> with our stinky sheep and our shields. Who are you guys? We're the wise guys. Wise guys and shepherds. They've doing something different <laughs> that's called crowbarring the word into the verse but gotta take us to the lord away in a manger with wise guys and shepherds wise guys and shepherds away in a manger manger danger manger danger manger danger Danger, manger. No, not at all. The angels are there as well. There's a pig and a chicken and all the things you find in a manger. We brought you gifts from the east. Some frankincense, some myrrh. I I forgot to I forgot to get something. Would (laughs) would gold be okay? I just didn't pick anything up. All I got is a sheep. Who wants lamb for dinner? (laughs) Manger danger. Don't be a stranger. Something different. (laughs) This week we talked to a fantastic comedian, uh, and a, a brilliant, just a just uh, all rounder. Well, also an, an an aficionado of musical comedy. He absolutely. knew so much. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's it's a great pleasure to introduce the incredible David, David O'Doherty. O'Doherty. Is it O'Doherty or Doherty? 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The guest on today's show is someone you might know. And if you don't, that's your own fault. But you'll know them soon. It's David O'Doherty. That Now, this is very exciting. You're one of my favorites. I say Stop. one of my favorites. That's almost like an embarrassment to say, you are my favorite. But then if I said that to every single person, that would be, <laughs> they'd catch me. It would be a catch me out. So I have to say, you're one of my favorites of all time. Um, we, for people that may not know who you are, which is unlikely, you are a multi-award winning uh, comedian, but you're also a playwright. Uh, you've got, you're a cyclist, an avid cyclist. Uh, are, would, would you, do you put yourself in the musician car, car, uh, category, even though you play music in your show? Are you, do you play music outside of your show? Or are you... Uh, aspirationally, I do. I always mm. think I'm just filling time till I write my symphony. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just don't have the time with all the cycling and the playwriting at the moment. <laughs> I would love to hear your symphony. I'll, I'm, I almost feel like now you've said it, we have to hear it at some point. <laughs> is it? Is it something that you, is that something you, I mean... Well, we'll get into your your background in, in a in a bit. You you've come up through the comedy world, obviously. You know, and the bits and pieces I know about you and, and read about you means that I know you've you've come from a a, a a family history of artists and writers and comedians. Your brother Mark, I know, also is a playwright, and Claudia, we know, is a, an excellent comedian. Is that is that something that's just been driven? that's driven you or does it just something that happened to, to be that happened well there was certainly never any pressure to get a proper job <laughs> been, in fact <laughs> i would have been letting the side down quite badly if i'd moved into human resources or whatever normal people do phil and yes yeah <laughs> so yeah my dad was this weird or is he's still gigging my dad's 84 and he did a show yesterday he's really a, the piano player yeah he's a, wow. he's, a, he's a jazz musician jim jim, jim. Doherty. yeah yeah who, he's very 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 good well in the tiny niche area of 
bebop jazz <laughs> he would be reasonably well known but then the funny thing is that that's not what gets you a school uniform you know what put me through school was my dad wrote the song everyone in ireland had to learn about how to cross the road really yeah you know there wow. was always these other things that so jazz was his passion uh, but uh that has involved playing to 13 people upstairs in a room <laughs> above a pub for as long as I can remember. So I was always kind of aware that this wasn't a pathway to great riches. <laughs> well, I'm still doing that. Playing I, to 13 I, I wish, people. I wish, yeah, I wish somebody had told me this. <laughs> but like that, it reminds me of the time, I think one of the first times that we came across each other, you met me in Dublin and kindly took me out for a little stroll around Dublin. And at the time, I, I believe you, it was your first, you're right, your first children's book and when and I was like oh that's really interesting you're doing I'm doing it out of necessity because at that time and maybe it's still true in Ireland if you're a published writer you live tax-free is that is, <laughs> and, and I, I, I don't know if this is dobbing you in with the government but you're you're basically saying, you just said everyone in Ireland is a published author wow. <laughs> and, and I is that true and, and also it uh, what struck me about that is it means that you it does um, it, you, uh, it, it inspire people to write because that if that is a fact, then almost everyone in Ireland would go, I've got an idea for a book and maybe try and write it. <laughs> is, um, you, you, yeah, I've been writing children's books longer than I've been doing stand-up. I, ah, right. I, for some reason, sort of baked into us as kids was this idea that you can just try stuff. And so from about the age of 12, I would write these awful stories, f get the address on the back of a children's book that I liked of the publisher and just send it off to them. Wow. Just be like, do you want to publish this? Mm. And uh, it worked eventually when I was about 21. Yeah, someone got back and said, all right, let's do this as a book. Uh, as regards the complex tax arrangements yes you get a tax-free lump sum <laughs> if you're or you get a tax-free allowance uh of like 30 grand or something if you're right. a published author okay and i certainly wasn't earning 30 grand then so <laughs> that uh probably would have would have helped a little bit yeah exactly <laughs> i can't believe i said that i mean look yes. if you want a and and you bought lunch so i thought it was just like saying look look at them i'm flush <laughs> well, well, this is where we get into the weeds, Phil, because <laughs> I am obsessed with musical comedy and I have been, you know, because there's a lot of tie-ins between jazz, like my dad's biz, and musical comedy in particular. And so we were always listening to... So my granny lived five hours across the country, so we'd always... My dad had tapes, loads and loads of these weird tapes of, like, American stand-ups from the 60s, from the sort of je Professor Irwin Corey and these mm. people who did jazz and stand-up at the same time. Right, right. Uh, uh, but I think the first... I've been to see Victor Borga, mm -hmm. and oh, then... He's amazing. The, yeah, like, absolutely incredible. And then... My brother took me to see Corky and the Juice Pigs, yeah. uh, your musical comedy trio, <laughs> uh, in, the, in the Dublin Arts Club when I was about, I'd say, 16 or 17. Definitely not old enough to be in the Dublin Arts Club. No. no. Uh, and so you definitely existed and still do yeah. on this higher plane of like, wow, this oh, guy, this guy invented a lot of this stuff. No, uh, that, oh, that's not true. Well, but... certainly that and um, that kind of energy, you know, that kind of 
new wavy punky energy that you guys brought to yeah i'd never seen that before in musical comedy and then my brother started doing stand-up i mean semi-inspired by that as well phil you're a significant figure in the o'doherty household and (laughs) uh yeah he was my brother was like this weird one-liner guy with the guitar who played jazz chords at a time when there wasn't really that much weird comedy like you still had to tour up and down england playing the same clubs as uh people just just circuit circuit dudes doing proper circuit stuff yeah well i'm glad you stopped though because um you're you're about to make me cry (laughs) 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 but you know i've not been well so i just when i woke up today i was just i've I've just been feeling really sorry for myself explain explain that to the listeners as well phil you you, you are we we meant meant to be meant to be meeting in person but phil is so ill that i cannot get close to i don't want to get close to normally i like to be very close to him but not today that's i mean that's very said so kind of you because i i don't i never know uh what influence i in fact that feels like a lifetime ago all that stuff with the juice pigs and uh even though it's a part of my part of my history it 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 i don't remember like we were you know i was with ed byrne the other day who you'll know the irish comedian ed byrne Mm. um who who actually did one of his first established one of his uh, um I was actually with his brother Stephen, and we were talking in Glasgow, and he was just saying Stephen's the eldest, and he was saying Ed. That was such a huge part of Ed's growing up experience, and that just to me, I just see you guys, you and Ed, and and all all the guys that you perform with, uh, have, have all gone on to these great things. And I never really, I don't really think of the Juice Pigs as being that influential. It certainly never made it sort of past that mark of um, household name success, the, the way the Flight of the Concords or. Um, or uh, you know any any of the other any of the other acts that came up around that same time. Um, I wanted to talk back that what you were, I want to go back to something about you said about your dad though about those old albums because something that we like to do on this on this podcast is is learn about the old about the old stuff and sort of pass that knowledge on. I think a lot mm. of the people, in fact, the, the main core group of people that listen to this podcast, I think, are people that want to be musical comedians or, in, or enjoy the 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 niche area. It's a very niche area. Um, do you have any other sort of niche names and people that you can that you could throw out at us that you can remember off the top of your head that might be interesting to look at stuff yeah. that's influenced you personally? Yeah, I mean. Kind of more obvious stuff like Randy Newman, mm-hmm. you know, like it's weird that most people know Randy Newman as the guy who did the music from Toy Story. Yeah. But, you know, his probably the single gig. I, I got a student visa to go to America uh, one summer when I was in university and just, you know, worked in coffee shops and as a courier and stuff in San Francisco. And Randy Newman was doing a gig in a Borders bookshop. Uh, to launch uh, an album is in 96 and I think that probably that along with the Juice Pigs gig are the two biggest influences in me going into comedy it was the fact that it was the fact that Randy Newman could twist a heartbreaking song like Marie and then he'd be like I'm sick of this you know as it approaches its emotional crescendo and then start playing uh, short people, people or political science. <laughs> yeah. Political science is probably the genius mm. song, I would say, of uh, of Randy Newman. And then there's, the, there's another guy who 
I just feel doesn't get enough credit and is right up there, who's called Dave Frischberg, who okay. is, he was a straight jazz pianist that right. played with some of the big bands, uh, but he was always writing these comedy songs that I think are up there with Tom Lehrer. You know, Tom, so Tom Lehrer's got your Poisoning Pigeons in the Park and, and mm. that sort of yeah. stuff. Dave Frischberg, he has a song called Blizzard of Lies. And I know Frischberg then was a big influence on Tom Waits. Right. Particularly those early Waits records, like mm. Nighthawks at the Diner mm-hmm. and uh, what's the one... Um, uh, everyone's a winner, bargains galore. There's a Tom Waits song that's just uh, three minutes of just salesperson guff. Yeah. And that's very Frischberg, that idea of just a list and yes. do it as a song. I mean, albeit with a really high degree of music- musicianship that uh, I certainly couldn't do. But that was, yeah, Frischberg would be another one of those huge influences of that early American era. Yeah. Yeah, I think we had. Did we cover that somewhere along the in the first series, David Tim? Yeah, we did. We did. did we, we, we've that, done. We've done some old Americana stuff. Um, old Americana but, but I don't, stuff. I don't think that we. I don't think that we went across over to the to the jazz world. I think that we went mm. kind of mainstream. We also looked into. Uh, I think was it possibly Rich Hall's episode? So we were looking at. Ah, that's, um, yeah, that's looking at some co- country songs that that use comedy throughout well he obviously is sell a John, millions a, so yeah he's a john prine he, he can tell he's his a bit one of his big influence be john prine that kind of uh very um sort of uh, funny <laughs> funny yet heartfelt yeah the, the, phil that's always that's that was always what i wanted to do and it was through that I think it was through seeing the likes of Randy Newman where a, a thing could twist in a second from yes. something really funny and silly to something incredibly uh, sincere. Yeah. A song called Love Story, uh, the first song on Newman's first album that is kind of like that, where he's just describing a life that seems like he's sort of mocking a suburban, boring uh, mm. two up, two down, two kids, life. But then mm. you kind of realise, oh, no, that's what he actually wants. You know, <laughs> yes. he's sick of all of this. Uh, and mm. then, I, and then, I mean, Jonathan Richmond would be another person, yes. like moving a little further along then, mm. where it's, it is sincerity, but it's never cloying sincerity. It's funny uh, yeah. and yeah, profound yeah. in a way that you can't always put your finger on like Vincent van Gogh the song is just beautiful or government center or tandem jump you know all these songs are it's really he's amazing because it's like no one had told him what songs are supposed to be yeah well he's he's ditched it hasn't he because he does that song Bermuda where he explains he explains in the song Bermuda that it wasn't till he went to Bermuda he realized how uptight he was because he came from the CBGB punk rock scene and was trying to fit in with like um, uh, Talking Heads and the Ramones. And then he went to Bermuda and they went, everyone said everything was so relaxed down there. And, and that the way he talks about himself in the third person, Jonathan, Jonathan, <laughs> it, in Bermuda, that's where, that's in the song Bermuda, that's where you can see there's a huge switch in, in the whole way he 
approaches it. And then he starts trying to do country songs. And yeah. he was, he, he's a massive influence on the Juice Pigs, who's Jonathan Richmond. We've, we've seen him a couple of times. And uh, and he always plays these little tiny rooms. One of the things I also really like about it is, um, even though he's hugely influential, you'd be able to see him in London in a 100-seat venue uh, with just him and electric guitar, which he'll then unplug and walk through the audience and sing acoustically with the electric guitar so you know how, it, how you can hardly hear that sound. Yeah. So, so everyone's spellbound and they come right in. And you don't get that experience with, when we get to a, when artists get to a certain no. uh, 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 fame that that you're able to that you're able to see that kind of thing. He continues that. Yeah. Jonathan Richmond. Yeah. There's a performance of his from later with Jules Holland. Cool. I think the song's called "Now Is Different to Before." Mm. Right, right. Uh, which is him with two mics. Yes, so he's playing. He's playing that beautiful wide body jazz guitar, mm. playing chords. And at one point, he just says solo, and he walks up to the other mic yeah. and just plays the solo into the mic, and then walks back to the first vocal mic again. <laughs> Amazing. And again, it's just yeah. I I I've always loved those artists where it's like you're doing this wrong. No one has told this person how to do it. <laughs> yeah. And then you realize at the end, that's all that I wish I could do. That, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, would you, well, you kind of do that. I mean, you come and sit down, which is not the norm for a stand up comedy show. You come and sit down, you bring your, I don't know what kind of Casio, what's your kit? What's it, what kind of Casio? <laughs> <laughs> what is it? A, what is it? A, a Casio? Like, uh, no, I'm the man who puts the aha in Yamaha. So it's uh, <laughs> Casio have the best beats, but yes. uh, Yamaha have the, have the best tones. So if I'm doing a beats heavy show, I'll lean into the uh, the Casio MT series. But yeah, yeah. for general day to day gigging, I operate the Yamaha Portasound, specifically the PSS 260. This one, which right, you can okay. still buy on eBay for 15 pounds. You can see all the Dave O'Doherty um, uh, acts. Uh, people are doing Dave O'Doherty acts now. Now written that all down, and they're going to steal your sound. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, in terms of, in terms of like playing playing that keyboard, I want to go back to your your playing. So you you are you're do you, do you play jazz piano yourself? I play it quite poorly, David. Yeah, it, it's okay. what I it's what I wanted to do when I was in university, and then. So my dad would do master classes and sometimes kids would come and stay with us or would be around the city that we're doing uh, jazz weekends with dad. And through hanging out with those kids and just seeing how much better than me they were, you know, there's like there's the oh, you just got to practice the sort of whiplash element to it but that's why i hate whiplash the film because (laughs) in jazz it's also no you have to want it more than other people no no no. you have to be really really good in the first place (laughs) and some people can just hear all these harmonies like the kid that uh, i used to hang out with a lot he's a little older than me is a guy called brad meldow who at the time was 22-year-old or 20-year-old jazz musician who had nowhere to stay, and he's now the biggest pianist in jazz. And, uh, yeah, he would... I remember once we were driving somewhere, and I just had, like, top 40 hits on, and we got back to the house later that evening, and he was like, I can't stop thinking about that song we heard earlier, the ad for the carpet shop, and he just played the song... Because he, he's like, it had that 13th note in it. 
and he played the exact music from the carpet ad from six hours earlier. And then that was, I think, probably the point where I was like, I better think of something else that I could do. <laughs> my, uh, my my partner is a, she's an opera singer and she has that uh, recall um, and it's it's a phenomenal ability, but she can she can hear something and she'll be able to you know pinpoint it. She'll get the exact right pitch, and it's it's so it's so frustrating for me. I have to write everything like my this. I'm in my studio at the moment. There are pieces of paper everywhere. I've got like five different keyboards around me doing different jobs, but she can just it's just there in front of her. Whereas yeah. I have to write everything out. Yeah. And um, yeah, people who can do that make like Jacob Collier. Like yeah. he, I, I, he, I, I, he makes me. I mean, he's he's a genius, but <laughs> my God, does he make me ill? Because I just want to do what he can do. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, the jazz world is a completely different thing. Is but I, I used to go and play uh, play at Ronnie's, and I going to do that is the most nerve wracking thing ever. And I also now I, I'm not good enough to do it. I know that for a fact. And I also, it scares me every time I walk past the building. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, the, the jazz world is a completely and utterly different, different kettle of fish. Yeah, my, um, my dad lived in London in the uh, early 60s, which is such a crazy, fascinating time. I'm trying to get him to write it all down uh, before he passes away. For example... If you were available for gigs this week, you physically stood out on Monday morning on Wardour Street, the the road where all the music publishers were. Like you stood out there on Monday morning and buses would drive up and you'd be like, oh, we need a bass player. There's one standing over there. That guy's good. And, wow. Uh, so, yeah, so my dad ended up doing the first Eddie Cochran rock and roll tour around England, you know, just Amazing. through being through being picked up on these things. And then by night was, yeah, the, I, I always think that they, they all wore Harris tweed. That's how you marked yourself out as a jazz musician in the 60s. But you wore a full <laughs> Harris tweed suit, which was impossibly hot in the summer. But you had to do it because you were a London jazz musician. And so late night at those jam sessions in Ronnie Scott's at 5 a.m., the room would get so hot. They used to seal... <laughs> Harris tweed suits and make them waterproof by soaking them in horse piss for a week. Uh, this is in the Hebrides where the suits are made. And at 5am in Ronnie Scott's in August 1961, there'd be a distinct aroma of horse piss in the air. And that was from all these jazz cats standing around. So while I'm happy enough with my stand-up comedy career, I do aspire to be in a horse piss filled room with a load of cool muses. Well, I think we can do that for you. To be honest. <laughs> I've just come back from Scotland. Um, uh, we, we've, uh, you've done a lot of work in at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, amongst all of you, you've done 16 Edinburgh shows. 16? Have you done more? Have you done one yeah, beyond? Yeah, I've done, I've done, I did two some years. So, yeah, I've probably done a few. I've done some character shows and stuff like that. So... Right, yeah, and I've you did there. the uh, the one the, the one that I the, I just want to talk about briefly is the Honorable Men of Art, mm. which was like a guard improv. It, it where you're going back to and no one telling these guys how it's done thing. <laughs> there was no, isn't the wasn't it, there's no, there was no I was just no rules, just you. Yeah, well, you, it was. It, 
it was an incredible group of people. That was 2006, 2008, and it was yep. with uh, John Oliver. Where is yes. he? Where is he now? Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, Daniel Kitson. Daniel Kitson uh, and Andy Zaltzman. And, yep. uh, yeah. Yeah. So there was no, and, you, and Alan Cochran would do it. Alan sometimes. Cochran. Yeah. Yep. You wouldn't uh, be asked up to the stage. Uh, we just all had mics and we're standing around a room. Like it was mostly <laughs> leaning on the. A genius of Daniel Kitson, who you know, <laughs> well, could yeah. uh, quite literally read the horse racing results, and it would yeah. be hilarious. So <laughs> yes. we leaned heavily into that, <laughs> and the rest of us kind of got away with it. But yeah, it was a, it was one of those things where because we were friends, we all just trusted each other, and you didn't, you didn't wonder beforehand. God, I hope this doesn't go really badly. You were just like, oh yeah, cool. Let's but go. But it but it was as close to com- comedy as jazz, as as of anything <laughs> that I've ever seen. In the sense that we were all the people in the audience were also aware that that's what was happening. It, it there was it wasn't there was no facade about it. It was just like it wasn't like. Um, you know, normal improv, and they explain to you it's improv, and we're going <laughs> to do this. <laughs> In fact, I remember seeing a thing on that might have been Saturday Night Live. It was one of the sketch shows where they're doing doing an improv troupe go to somewhere like Flint, Michigan, <laughs> and they're they're doing an improv show about sex health, <laughs> and they call come on with matching ties to this like group of guy out of work men in a pub, and they go right, an occupation. What do you do? And the guy goes, I'm unemployed. And they go, oh, uh, uh, okay, what what do you do? Well, I'm unemployed. It's like they'll go around the whole place as this as this whole bar rebels on them. Anyway, that's a di- that's a digression. The, the, um, the, uh, yeah, and to me and my development, uh, like in I did it first in 1999, and hmm. I was on. I did new, the newcomer competitions with Josie Long, and yeah. uh, she introduced me to Jeffrey Lewis who is yeah. another key sort of person in my career, who's a, an outs, American outsider musician who whose songs are like short stories. Uh, okay. And a lot of the time he illustrates, uh, he draws pictures of the songs and when he's performing them on stage, holds them up. Yeah, check out uh, Don't Let the Record yeah. Company Take You Out for Lunch. Or There's a whole bunch of okay. great stuff on YouTube. And then the, yeah. I think the big fluke for me, and it was just a fluke, but Edinburgh is kind of about flukes, is in 2002, I was doing uh, a like comedy from our Best of Ireland show in mm. the Caves venue in Edinburgh. And the show after me was uh, two guys from New Zealand called Humor Beasts, who were mm. Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi. And then okay. the show after that was... Uh, Taika did the lights for Flight of the Concords then, which was the next show after. So one night I was like, I'll stay and watch these losers. They seem nice enough. <laughs> and yeah. nothing was ever the same again. <laughs> uh, like if there are certain key turns in my uh, comedy and my musical comedy career, Juice Pigs yeah. is a huge one. And then seeing Concords mm, and just... Yeah. Again, it was that thing that we were talking about, like, no one's told these guys how you're supposed to do this. And no. they would sit down in chairs and then tune up. 
Like the last thing you're, which is the start of every jazz gig I'd ever be into. Is you get a polite round of applause for coming on stage and then spend 40 seconds going down, 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 down. And yeah, I can only imagine the first time I saw it being like, oh God, I hope these guys know about the rough and tumble of musical comedy and how it's supposed to work. And uh, yeah, they, that first show, I don't know, it's, it's, so so within a week, I ended up playing some piano in their show. And, you know, it, it went from that was that Edinburgh was a disaster financially for them because it was, was it? their 2002 Edinburgh was. Yeah, because every yeah. night there would be seven to 12 comedians there. Yeah, who'd all got in for free. <laughs> and, and but then what, 14 years later, we played. Red Rocks Amphitheatre in Denver, you know, with Flight of the Concords as the headline and uh, me as the support act then. So, oh, wow. yeah, it's, that's it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, great. that's just a pure triumph of talent, though. You know, with them, yeah. with, with some people in comedy, you kind of see, oh, wow, their agent pushed them to be a arena act and people all started going to see them in arenas. But with, yes. with Concord... Yes. You know, they made so many anti-industry turns along the way. For example, by not making a third series of their TV show, Hollywood told them, you're finished. And three years later, Brett won the Oscar <laughs> for best song for that Muppet song. Yeah. So, yes. uh, you <laughs> it, yeah. stick to your guns is the thing that I learned from them. Yeah, they. I mean, that's that is an extraordinary. You're absolutely right about the talent, though. Is Brett? Brett? Well, not both of them, but Brett McKenzie. He was already writing those songs. He was already doing the thing. There's not. They can't take it away. You can't take that away from him. Yeah. In fact, I was going to say his last album uh, is. It's reminiscent. Is it sounds like a Randy Newman album? Someone said to me, "Oh, what kind of music is it?" And I was like, "I don't know how you even describe that. What is that style of music? I don't know what that style of music is. It's it's." it's storytelling it's uh, but what is the sound of it and then i realized yeah it's sort of randy newman-esque yeah. it's it's um it's it lives in that little world i don't know what other writers kind of write like that there's a few but yeah um yeah you can't you just you just can't deny the natural ability to turn a song and the other thing that reflects on that is he he also is able to write a song that's both sentimental and ridiculously uh funny because that's who he is i guess um, yeah there's there's i mean there's a the, the two of them are, it's like the balance that exists between two great comedy writers sometimes with uh, sitcoms, where you've got yeah. one's a structure head and the other just wants to make it weird. And I think that's sometimes mm. the best tension to have in a group. And I'm not saying that's exactly it with, with Concords, because they some of the songs one will write and, you know, but then the other will sort of knock into shape. Uh, but there's a there's a times where it is genuinely beautiful. There's a song from the first show that you'll find on YouTube. I don't think it was ever on any of their subsequent albums called Bus Driver Song. That's just about uh, a rural bus driver giving a tour around a small town in New Zealand and through it reveals the lost loves of his that exist in the town that is just so small and tiny and beautiful Uh it's just incredibly, it managed to be moving and funny at the same time. But that's, yeah. that's very much like you were saying before about the how Randy Newman writes his songs in that he'll, um, he'll kind of have a narrative going through and then he'll flip it and you'll get, you'll get your, your punchline or you'll get 
uh, you'll get this this twist which you weren't expecting. Um, but but I find that in a lot of in a lot of your writing as well. Um, <laughs> for example, um, your song Orange, which is <laughs> which is it, it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's this. It's it, and the way that you tell the story of these two people meeting and they're going to go out for this date and then they all oh, they find this little they're, they're a bit nervous so they both find this little nook in the pub and comes around the corner and <laughs> she's orange, <laughs> she's orange. <laughs> but, it's, but then the, the, the amazing thing about your about your comedy is that you because you've because you've done it as a story like you tell a story as you're as you're uh, singing and playing the song um it means that you you can then work on that punchline and on that twist whereas a lot of comedy songs i think we were talking to tim vine about this a lot of comedy songs you get your punchline in and then and then then the joke of that song is done but because of the way the because of the way that you um you have this narrative throughout your song it means that you can you can keep twisting and you can keep turning the screwdriver that little bit further and you get so much more from uh, from each of your songs it's it's really really wonderful um, uh, thank you very much yeah yeah that, i mean that's that song god that song's from about 2005 that song was a, <laughs> I wrote that that song for um me and a, a friend Brian decided we 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 made a sort of camcorder documentary about it. We tried to get it to number uh oh god what was it number 27 in the <laughs> Irish charts. So there used to be in the pre-digital downloads era was the time of the year in February where like Sepultura and Iron Maiden would try and release songs to get into the Irish charts because you could get, you could chart with about 350 sales if you knew in a given week which record stores were tracking for the charts. I had a friend who worked for one of the record labels and he told me the shops that we needed. I remember you, you could only buy them 40 minutes apart and it was we found out three shops that were on a loop. So if you walked that loop, it was about 15 minutes to each shop. By the time you got back to the first one again, it would count as an album sale. So that <laughs> that song, Orange, uh, we uh, made, uh, I think, 500 copies of it. I burned them on a laptop back when that used to be a thing and put them in little sleeves. And uh, yeah, I, I me and Brian Quinn bought them all from Tower Records uh. and we got it. We were going for 27 and I think we got it to 31. Oh, in the so yeah. close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's my only charting ever piece of music. <laughs> <laughs> there's one there's one theme that's running through all this and I, I mean and i i know it's it has to do with just the way you that you would the, the way you think and I, all the things we're talking about is little, little small things that you you admire or uh, um, things that happen outside the limelight um and you did a you made an album in your car during the <laughs> lockdown yeah that was just an attempt to not well, I don't even know. You, uh, maybe tell us. You decided to get in the car on a stormy night and record an album that you were hoping to do as a live album. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's great. I think I love it. It's and it's adventurous. And the thing, all the things we've been talking about, all seem to point to a very similar sort of uh, sort of inspiration. Not just for you, but the people around you, including the flight of the Concords, 
which then, you know, it doesn't have, I guess I'm saying it for the people that are listening to the podcast who are trying to write little comedy songs and stuff to just, it's the little things that sometimes will inspire you. Yeah, Yeah. I've definitely always been very influenced by DIY culture. And, but that's also what drew me to comedy in the first place, because it wasn't like my friends in bands who were trying to get signed by major labels. You could just go out Mm. and do it. So the first live uh, filmed show that I did was I lived in a bed sit on Raglan Road in Dublin for six years. And so brought like 35 people back to the bed sit and did a live from his own apartment uh, show. <laughs> and the fun- What year was that? What year was that? No. That's got quite- yeah, 2005. That's on YouTube as well. And then the yeah. funny thing about it was it was filmed by a guy called John Carney who right. at the same time had just filmed a movie called Once. Yes. That's hilarious. Yeah, but that but that also feeds through. Yeah, that DIY thing. It's why I loved uh, in one of my first Edinburghs, me and Brett and Jermaine used to go and see a lot of musical stuff and just a lot of weird stuff. So, uh, we saw Trachtenberg family slideshow players who were an oh, yeah. American group who would buy old boxes of slides from markets and uh, bring them by sales and then would write songs about the mountain trip to japan is just because that's that was what was written on the top of the first box of slides and that kind of thing always really interested me and then as technology moved on the fact that you could just record something and put it out on the internet that night so yeah that's that's when when the pandemic happened i was in the middle of writing a new show that i was going to you know, take to Australia and I was going to do an American tour and then tour around Europe. And I ended up living on an island with uh, my then 83-year-old parents for five months. And so one night in June, just I'd stopped thinking about comedy, you know, for quite some time, the sort of zombie apocalypse period of the pandemic when we all thought we were going to die. And then I started thinking about it again when things started to return to normal. And one night there was a storm and I couldn't sleep and I went out to the car and this is proper Atlantic remote island storm where the car is moving and I just recorded an hour with the keyboard in the back of my phone and uh, <laughs> yeah. I like the vibe of it and so I just put it up on Bandcamp that night and it's called yeah David yeah. had already live in his own car during a global pandemic and yeah. Uh, yeah it was the biggest selling record that i it, ever released it, it's a, it's it's a great idea and you no know, cuz it's a great idea it's in it's it's um not only is it your i don't know how you spell vibe v y y y b the vibe it's, it's your it's your it's so your vibe um but it also brings it also strips away a whole lot of stuff it also strips away it's it's like the you know an, a, your incredibly talented father playing to 13 people but doing other stuff for money it strips i i have also been an indie guy the juice pigs released everything independently yeah. in fact we were offered at some point sony had offered us like you know five record deal or whatever and, and i was like no i don't want to do that and all, i don't the other guys were like why this is crazy i'm like no because then we lose it then we don't have any of it and then yeah. it's not worth it no it's 
there's no value to it later on. And no, I didn't mean like Nestle financial value. Just there's no heart. There's no what's the heart in it? Why are you doing it? What do, it kind of plays into all those ideas of why you're actually writing the, the yeah. thing in the first place. I, is it to is it to sell it or is it to do it? And I, I re- I've always really appreciated that about you. And I think maybe that's you know what. Has always attracted me to your stuff is that it is independent. I remember the trait that what they called the Trakenberg uh, singers had had an orange T-shirt that was a drawn, hand drawn. This is one of the things I remember about them. It just looked like they just got sat down. And someone going, "We need a T-shirt," and one of them got, "How about that?" And they go, "Right, it's great, perfect." <laughs> like, 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 n- no thought or complete thought. It's it's com- completely thought through as a s- stylistically. Yeah, um, I, I, but I also, it's what draws me to someone like Bo Burnham now, like that hmm. um, inside special that he made. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, genius. It's that independent spirit where you have an idea. And you don't need to run it by anyone. You know, a a hell of a lot of people would have gone, no, 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 don't record a record in your car or don't record in your apartment. Yes. It turned out to be exactly what the world needed at that time. Yes. So, uh, yeah, there's something, I think, coming through DIY bands a lot. And, you know, a lot of my friends played on on the Dublin band scene, which was very much, well, it's what Josie Long does, too. You know, Josie... Yeah. Josie will do a tour with Grace Petrie where they perform in bandstands for free in towns around England. And right. I love that. Right. You know, that's uh, that's what you're supposed to do in your 20s and your 30s. You know, and it also it's a really nice connection with uh, with the audience as well. And, you know, it, it is the it is the weird thing about doing those arena gigs like with Concords. The last tour that we did was just big monster arenas and the gigs are sort of fun uh yeah but do you know what's just as much fun is performing with no mic in the pub around the corner and yeah. trying yeah. out new stuff and stopping a song in the middle to do the other version of that verse that you thought might work better and yeah. uh yeah. yeah i think that's probably closer to to the stuff that i want to be doing really i really admire um i like just artists in general who can who can go out and they do it they're kind of doing the art for themselves but uh, and um and and the reaction normally is is really really well received i i've t- attempted that in the past and i've done it in uh, in theaters and stuff where i've gone okay i'm gonna try this new thing and i've fallen so flat on my ass <laughs> that i've gone okay do you know what? i'm i'm really good at playing the piano so i'm just gonna i'm gonna go and do that and maybe i'll throw in a couple of funny things here and there <laughs> but I, I, it's always been something that i've just been so scared of doing so it's just uh, yeah i think it's it's a bravery thing as well I just don't know any other way of doing it, really. You know, it's uh, it is such a the stuff that I do is mostly so personal, and so it's a personal connection then with the people who have come along to see it. And then the beauty of you know, early in my stand-up comedy career, I made the financial calculation that I don't need a whole lot of people to like this. You know, if you can get people to pay a tenner in. And you can get 50 of them to come. That's 500 quid for one night's work. Are you joking me? So it was never the <laughs> right. kind of numbers thing of let's let's uh, stack them high and sell them cheap. It was more if these people really like it. I mean, that was that, I remember Arlo Hanlon once told me that about Izard when when Izard was like 
uh, mid 90s Edinburgh or early 90s Edinburgh really on fire where it was a different show every night he had said if I will go to your town and play a 50 seater and a year later I will be able to go back and play a 100 seater and a year later I'll be able to play a 200 seater and I remember thinking wow that's that's almost too much to imagine numbers wise mm-hmm. but yeah that's how you build up that connection by people telling their friends you know it's it's still the the way you sell a show at the Edinburgh Fringe is word of mouth you know you can get all the giant yeah. posters you want and spend all money on PR but if you just write a really really good show people will tell their friends they liked it and that they need to go and see it and that's yeah numbers shoot up i mean and phil you've done that as much as anyone you know but all that but you're but that audience that comes then is is the audience of people that are like-minded and therefore allow you to do more of the thing that you want to do the mistake i've made in edinburgh would be when i've been thinking oh i've got to have a, a big year or something you know listening to other people tell me what i need to do and i go in a big room that's too big for me and then you need to like have flyers and then you need a big team and that's successful because <laughs> you've got a bit of a name but you end up playing to people from you know uh, Hamburg who've never heard of you before <laughs> and they're going why does this the, this is the big most popular comedian in Edinburgh and, and they don't, they're not happy and it doesn't make me happy and it, the jokes are failing left right and centre and you're thinking but this isn't my audience and then the next year you end up playing to in a, back in a 40 seater and going oh, yeah. oh that's better that's, <laughs> <laughs> these, pe- these are people that have seen me before I mean so. the great unspoken uh, unfairness of comedy I always say to people who are starting out is that it's really hard at the start, but it it gets easier in as much as every year you get better. Theoretically, the audience, you know, rather than have that arms folded, I bet this will be shit. They're suddenly their arms are unfolded and they're like, we love this guy. And so yeah. you can do 10 Edinburgh shows uh, after 10 years they like give you a big cheer when you come out and you're like, oh my goodness, this used to be so hard and I was shit and uh, the room was terrible and now everything's much easier. And it's kind of the opposite to how it should go. But uh, yeah, I like uh, I like being in that place now. Uh, and I just want to thank you for inspiring me. Well, today. thank you um, for yeah inspiring I, me. I, you know, I, I mean, want, it sounds like a circle want, jerk uh, now, but... I know. I don't. I don't want it to be like yeah. that. But I just you had to, has to be said. No, I couldn't said. do this without without saying it because I've I've you know I've definitely said it to you in the past that I was at a bunch of those early Corky and the Juice Pigs gigs and then your early solo shows going to see you whenever you came to Dublin. But yeah, it's 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 just it was the way Phil that you just seized the energy in a room, uh, and that's something I tried to do in a completely different way to to you. But, uh, you know, I realized that you need to become the center of attention in this room very quickly. And uh, I did that with the musical instrument. And that's in part thanks to you. Oh, thank you. Well, um, so uh, this, this morning uh, I was playing playing some of your music in the house. And so my daughter's nine months old and uh, she's uh, she was listening. And every time that I laughed, she would laugh and giggle along. But you've got a voice that now I know that you've written lots of children's books. Um, have you ever recorded a children's album? No, I've never recorded it. You know, I've done some um, stage shows for kids and I do a lot of gigs yeah. for kids and a lot of readings for kids. But no, I've never, you know, it's something, 
Yeah, it's, it's something I should think about. David, thank you very much. Do you reckon? Not a one hundred percent. I've been listening. I've been listening to an album recently, and it's um, it's like a big band version of all of the all of the classics. Your Twinkle Twinkle, your um, uh, what the one about the dog. Um, you know those songs. <laughs> I can't the get them out of the my dog. head, and yeah, I can't remember any of them. This old man, he played one. All of those kind of things. Yeah. But it's a really, really good. I think Colin Skinner. It's a very. It's called Funky um, Songs for Kids, wow. and it is sensational. Like the orchestration of these pieces is amazing. But it's made the children's songs listenable, and so we play it. In, and because there's always new things that we're noticing in the orchestration, and we're like, oh, oh, the clarinet over there. Oh, that's really really cool that our child's gonna be a massive nerd um but there's definitely there's definitely a market for like really good children's albums because parents want to listen to them rather than listening yeah. to rather than listening to you know i love mr tumble but i don't want to listen to him sing you know um heads shoulders knees and toes all day long so see i've been teaching my partner's children uh, fuck the police <laughs> but, but, but then again they're not my children so does um, this there's an odd uh, bunch of people in comedy whose parents were jazz musicians. So there's Sam mm. Simmons, uh, yeah. Sarah Pascoe. Adam Bloom. Uh, exactly. Very and much. we all swap tales of... I mean, I think with most people, it's the same trajectory where I hated jazz with all of my heart. Like right. actively, like you've <laughs> ruined these songs because you might know one of the songs from uh, my favorite things. That's a perfectly good song from a musical. And now John Coltrane <laughs> has ruined it for 10 minutes. <laughs> and then you find yourself at the age of about 14 or 15. Like there's normally a gateway into it. And with me, it was the dreaded. I remember having a dump once and my brother Mark was listening to Steely Dan. Uh, in his bedroom and <laughs> sitting there and like is there gas in the car and just being like oh my god you like this oh god no <laughs> and yeah the one so dad at birthday parties and stuff like that I would get him to play he'd be he would never play voluntarily but if you hassled him and there was only one song of his that I wanted him to play which was he would play um, Simon Smith and the Amazing Dancing Bear, which is uh, a song that Randy Newman had. I don't think Newman wrote it, but it's just a, it's a kid song that he threw on one of his super intense albums. It's that I may go out tomorrow if I can borrow a coat to wear. And it's just it's absolutely beautiful. And again, that was another. So so. Through kids' music, I think, you know, because my dad would be playing all these seventh chords and everything, and I think that's how he uh, <laughs> managed to just uh, sneak the jazz into me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did, would you, um, I know that you always do your gigs with, with a small keyboard, and I've kind of got two, two things about this. Now, number one, it must be quite difficult to play such a small keyboard. So, <laughs> I mean, I know that a lot of the time you're, you're kind of, you're playing triads and more simple mm. kind of bass lines and stuff but w w would you can you can you rock out on it is that yeah, what you, i'm asking you, yeah you can a little bit hang on i've got i've got one here and so uh so yeah i mean um you can certainly uh whatever your jazz changes are um <laughs> there's charlie parker blues yeah isn't it 
So no, you, I, I have these giant hands. I have these giant sausage fingers. <laughs> Tiny oh, keyboard. But you can, <clears throat> you can sort of like. Uh, Would, I, I don't know. I, would you would you ever consider doing a doing a like uh, a set with a live band or have you or with an orchestra or something? Yeah, I'll play if, if my dad's at a gig. I'll get him to come on stage sometimes if they have a real piano there. Yeah, the, the one of the most joyous moments of my career was in 2014. I was doing a gig called the Horn Section in Edinburgh, yeah. which is. <laughs> Alex Horan's band, yeah. who now have their own TV show. And they are all jazz guys, and they will just play along with whatever you want to do. So my dad was in the audience, so I told... Uh, I introdu- I was introduced on stage. He didn't know. He thought I was just going to do some of my tunes. And instead I said I was going to do the practice the eulogy for his funeral. But seeing as he was there, <laughs> I would like to invite him on stage oh. to play along with... The, his own eulogy, <laughs> and so I, I just put into it loads of musical stuff that I knew him and the band because they're all jazz people would just know how to do. So it was. Uh, I remember one part of it was I was saying that Dad loved Casablanca was his favorite movie when he was growing up, but he thought Casablanca was off the coast of Brazil. So when he played <laughs> as time goes by, he played it as a samba. And then I just turned to the group and immediately So uh, I yeah, I'll if anyone's around, I will rope them in. Because the tunes are generally fairly easy to follow if you're a muso type. And also my tunes are so loose. If you just want to play a 12 bar blues i can just sing some lyrics or uh, make up some rubbish over it so yeah i i love playing with proper musicians oh well we'd we'd love to hear you play a song for us our guests normally do so have you have you got anything prepared for us yeah i'll do a song that yeah as i said uh, yeah i i lived on an island for the first five months of the pandemic with um jim and Anne. And uh, it was nice. There was a, there's a piano in the cottage. It was the cottage where my granny had lived on an island off the West Coast. And uh, dad and I played a lot of piano. And uh, yeah, I wrote this as a song about them. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it's that thing we were talking about earlier where it's a tiny bit sincere, but then utterly ridiculous at the same time. Okay. We give it a go. Yeah, give it a go. Mum and Dad, I'm so lucky to still have you around. And there's still so many things I want to ask you about. I want to know every lesson you've picked up along life's way but whenever I'm about to ask you say how do I print a Google (laughs) what channel is Netflix on what's the password to the family what is app 
Okay, two things there now, Mum. There's no password. And secondly, you always say what is app. It's just WhatsApp. But David, it should be what is app. There's no apostrophe. I know, Mum. And I'm sorry. <laughs> David, what's a Mimi? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Where is the cloud? I don't know. Do we need TikToks? Absolutely not. David, I think I'm stuck on the dark web. What? Show me your... No, you see, you've just turned your colour balance down. That's not the dark web, Dad. That's something else. David, you think your old man's an idiot. Yeah, I was able to sort it out this morning. Get this. I got an email from the bank. Apparently there was a fire and they'd lost all of our personal details. No, Dad! Just don't give them the three numbers on the... They'd lost the three numbers on the... Oh, gee. (laughs) David, do you remember I said my computer was running slow? And you told me to go around and close all the windows. No. It's very warm in the house. I'm coming straight over. David, look what we found. Look what we found. What is it? Oh, can you please stop Googling my name and going back 200 pages? It's a review. Do you remember you were in Canada in 2012? Yeah, I do remember that, Mum. I was having, I think it was the worst period in my life. Obviously, I have never looked at the reviews of those shows. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely hated it. <laughs> David, we found a review of that uh, musical podcast you did with Phil and David. <laughs> it said there was a song about us. What happens in that song? Oh, yeah. I think what that song's about, really, it's about how... I know when I was a kid, I asked a lot of questions. I was a very curious boy. And that must have been really annoying for you. <laughs> now uh. we're evens. <laughs> oh, yeah. Beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> David Daugherty, thanks for joining us. Thank you so uh, much, on, David. Uh, Songs of the Key of Laugh, David. It is a delight to be uh, here on this beautiful podcast. Thank you so much, you uh, guys. Yeah, that was been a lot of fun. Thanks, David. Cheers. Goodbye, adios, farewell. You'll be glad to hear that we think that your interview went well. But we have other things to get on with now, so you're going to have to go. I'm sure our paths will cross again, but whoever really knows. It's been fun, it's been musical, it's been comical at times. But now we have to leave you, so goodbye. Goodbye. I love that man. Yes. That's so pen- good. Penultimate episode eight out of the way. Of course, as we mentioned at the start, there's only going to be nine episodes in this series. And the next episode is going to be our the reveal of the who wins the comedy song competition and our presentation of our nativity. I'm just, really looking forward to just that. Just in times for Christmas. Just it, in it, time for Christmas. It's mental. I love Christmas. If you'd like to see more or hear more of David O'Doherty, why not visit him at his website, davidodoherty.com, and check out his tour dates for the UK next year, 2023, January, February, and March. Also, go and find the rest of his stuff on Bandcamp. There is so much stuff there, and it's such phenomenal quality. If you'd like to support our podcast, then please go to patreon.com forward slash songs in the key of laugh. Or why not buy David and I a coffee at coffee.com forward slash songs in the key of laugh. We'll see you next week for the last episode of the series. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.